2: Hi guys, I am Jake, a Newcastle fan. You get me on Twitter at jakejackmore 2 ends.
0: Hi guys, I'm Sam. I'm a Crystal Palace supporter. I write for the Eagles Beak fan site. You can find me on Twitter at sam__carp.
1: Alright, thanks so much for joining me today, guys. Obviously it's been a whirlwind of a weekend, but uh, we'll start off with the Saturday matches where Tottenham drew with Burnley 1-1. Not a particularly encouraging match, uh, for Tottenham, one of the most not encouraging players there, uh, Dombele, who of course joined from Lyon for a club record fee in the summer, as I said, taken off at halftime, and then he was publicly reprimanded by Mourinho after the match, saying that he wasn't giving enough for the team, and that he had hoped that some of the rested players had performed better, and then when given two names, he said it wasn't one of them, uh, so very clear that he was talking about Ndombele. Do you think that this kind of like public castigation could somehow work in a motivational way or do you think it's more demotivational for a player that is in his first year in England
2: um you'd have to hope that if the manager's saying it and, and, um publicly criticizing him in, in public that he thinks that he's a type of character that will benefit from that but I'm not sure it could just be um Mourinho making a scapegoat as he often does it, his comments were just just so weird to say that you didn't even that Tottenham didn't even have a midfield in the first half is just it's quite disrespectful, to be honest. I don't think how any player could, could benefit from that. It, it's not the first time he's talked about Ndombele, where he spoke about his injuries and how he's never fit. Um, so it seems like he's just taken up a personal issue with uh, Ndombele, which which is something he's done at other clubs. He did it, I think, with a little bit with Martial and Luke Shaw at Man United. Um and you know, if we go back to to Chelsea, Real Madrid, I'm sure there's there's other people, we other players that we can talk about similarly. So it seems to be a, a strategy of his. Um, remains to be seen if it's going to help him. I can't. I just can't see how it would. Um, be interesting if he plays on Tuesday night. Um, you know, eat this, whatever you think of him and. It, and And if he hasn't had the impact that that Tottenham would want in his first season, you know, if you go into that Champions League game with Oliver Skip and Eric Dyer in his place, it just seems ridiculous. Um, I think Ndombele has had moments this season where he's been quite good. He's not really had a run of games, so... It's been difficult for him and, and it can take players' time to adjust. Um, we've seen that before. So, um, yeah, I, I, I don't like it. I, I don't see how he'd benefit, but I think it's just a classic Mourinho strategy. He's done it before, he'll do it again. Um, he doesn't seem um, to be against sig- signalling out players for, for criticism in the press and he seems to have taken a, a big dislike to Ndombele. I mean, it, he he doesn't come across as the hardest working player. I think there's probably stuff going on behind the scenes that we don't know about that probably adds into this. But yeah, I can't see how it's going to be helpful um, for the club or the player, to be honest.
0: Yeah, I mean, what I, what I would say as well, just on on the Spurs game yesterday, is that you know Tottenham Tottenham could have been trailing by more than one at half time. They were pretty lacklustre across the board, so it, it it did seem a little bit weird to lay the blame. for a a pretty poor performance at the feet of one individual player Um, but you know having said that it's quite clear that this has been bubbling up for some time Um, and there's obviously a certain level of expectation for a player that arrives at a club for that amount of money, you know it's not very often that Spurs spend in excess of fifty million pounds on on someone, so so you know there's there's a certain expectation that they're going to be able to get up to speed immediately, perhaps in in the same way that we're seeing Bruno Fernandes do so at United. But you know sometimes that that doesn't really work for a number of reasons. In the case of Ndombélé, it kind of it kind of feels like I don't I don't think it's been a very settled environment for him to come into. You know Spurs have been a team massively in flux this year. They've they've been underperforming, had to change their manager because of that. Um, subsequently, changed the way they play a little bit, and and had injuries to key players, as we say, and uh, included. So it hardly creates the kind of atmosphere for a player to come in and have have that sort of immediate impact that both obviously the fans and the manager want him to have. Um, so in terms of Mourinho calling him out, as I say, I'm not I'm not sure. And um, was particularly worse than anyone else in that first half yesterday, and for his manager to name check him like that is hardly going to help his confidence if it is already low. Um, but as Jake said there, you know, it's this this isn't out of character for for Mourinho. And I think it's almost been sort of symptomatic of of his decline during this latter part of his managerial career. I think I think a big part of his success when he first came to England with Chelsea, um, carried on winning titles abroad was that kind of that rapport that he built up with his players. That there was always this sort of siege mentality with the Mourinho team. And he almost often did the very kind of opposite of this. He actually deflected attention away from them when things were going wrong, whereas now it's almost a case of calling out his players to deflect his attention away from himself and the football that his teams play. So as, as Jake was saying, we saw it at you United know, with Pogba, uh, we saw it with Luke Shaw, Marshall, as Jake said, even, even Mkhitaryan, I think. And, you know, it's time to see it again. And, now Spurs, so they're in the same way that it might have in the past when Mourinho first started started managing. Um, and if I were a Spurs <laughs> fan, sorry, Kev, um, I'd actually be a bit worried because it's usually a bit of a sign with Maria that things are starting to turn. So you look at Spurs form, it's one point from the last three, they're out of the FA Cup and potentially now the Champions League. Um, so yeah, I know, I know football is a very public profession, different to anything else, but you know, if you were underperforming at work, you wouldn't really expect your boss to. Yeah, and you yeah, are in front of the entire team. So I, I do think that they're dealt with isn't the right way as usually behind closed doors.
1: Yeah, it's certainly not going uh, as we would have hoped. There are a lot of extenuating circumstances, as you guys have mentioned, with the injuries and everything, and Dombey being one of the ones that suffered them. But what's the excuse for the defense? <laughs> they can't keep a clean sheet where we have all of our fit players. Um, <clears throat> on and Blay I will say he looks exhausted after about fifteen minutes of running. So there is certainly some blame there, and like you mentioned there, Sam, it's definitely been bubbling up for a while, and I think that's why we're getting kind of the harsher end of it, but I would certainly agree both with the assessment that the two of them certainly have something going on and that Mourinho is kind of using this as a deflective tactic. Um, Whether or not that's working for everyone else, (laughs) we will see, but it certainly isn't helping Ndombele at the moment. What is really interesting about Ndombele is when he joined – Sosoko Sissoko is the player that took him under his wing and was going to teach him how to play in England and everything. And for all of Sissoko's sins, basically ever since he's joined us, he's been incredibly hardworking and super reliable. And so the idea of combining that those tendencies with a player with the sublime natural skill that Ndombele has made us all think it was going to be great, like immediately. And that has certainly not been the case. And I do wonder what percentage of Ndombele's struggles, especially since the turn of the new year have aligned with the fact that Soko hasn't been training with us. If they did form that very quick like friend/mentor thing, um I'm wondering if that's a part of it. But uh if if a situation like this happened at your club, um to scale, cuz if either of your clubs signed somebody for 60 million and they didn't perform, there, there would be much larger issues. Um but if if something like this happened at your club, how would you expect your club or manager to handle it?
2: Um I I guess we have a similar type of thing with with uh joe, joe Ellington, who, who did sign for 40 million which is probably even more to us than 60 million is to tottenham so we've we've currently got that sort of Come issue um i don't think i don't think it's quite an attitude thing um i think it's might be a, just the the way he's being used but i think bruce is sort of stuck with him um, continues to talk about him positively um and the stuff that he does do you know he, he he hasn't been all bad, but he's just been a lack, lack of goals uh, with his only goal in the Premier League coming against Tottenham. So it, it was quite a long time ago now, and he's been playing centre-forward for a lot of those You're minutes. You're welcome. Since, um... <laughs> so, yeah, it's, it's, it's a difficult one. Um, I think you've got to try and keep motivating the player, um, and I think that's what Bruce has tried to do. He's given him a rest now. He's taken him out of the firing line, brought Gale back in, and hopefully... Um, minutes from the bench are going to be positive for him in the long run. I think with Jolenton as well, similar to, to Ndombele, is that when he's on the pitch, it maybe doesn't put in the maximum effort. Um, like you see with um, Gale, or we see with us, even say Maximin yesterday, the, the pressure he put Valerie under to to force that mistake and then go on to score the goal. We never see Joe Ellington going on and, and putting that sort of pressure on a defender. He, he seems to do everything at at half pace, which it which is which fuels a lot of the supporter anger in him. So I think it might be a cultural thing for a lot of people coming over. It takes time to adapt to the Premier League and I think you've just got to show patience and hopefully that'll turn. I think the best example of a player I can think of at another club that's done very well after having similar struggles at the start is Fred at Manchester United. I think he had a lot of the same problems that Don Blay has had, had a long period out of the team and now he's he's one of the first names on the team sheet and he and he seems to have adapted um, excellently to Premier League football. So it might be it's just a time thing. Um especially when Don blay got that age on his side as as we have with Jolinton. Um I think Fred was a little bit older, but I think there's there is um there are cases where it's changed and I think you just need to show a bit of faith and 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 hopefully it will turn. I think it's always the second season for these these imports, are the ones that matter. Those that, that do well from the off, uh, it's great. But I think you've got to give a player, I think, two years before you can properly judge them.
0: Yeah, I mean, just in terms of my club and whether I can imagine uh, my manager handling a similar situation the same way as Mourinho, I'd be surprised if Hodgson... Has ever actually said a bad word about any anyone in the press? Um, just seems like too nice a bloke to do so. Um, but having, having said that, I mean, he's he's actually come close in the past. There was one occasion with Christian Benteke, who I'm sure in several occasions he's probably felt the need to cool him out, given some of the some of his messes in the past and his goal droughts and whatever, and the fact that he stood by him. But um, the only time I could really think of when you when you sent this over, Kev, was when um that game at home to Bournemouth when we got a last minute penalty and Milivojevic is obviously kind of the penalty king of the Premier League and Benteke decided to take the ball off him uh, and proceeded to miss that penalty and even in the even in, uh, even in in the press conference afterwards Hodgson kind of refrained from having too much of a go at Benteke but just kind of said you know he'll have to deal with the consequences of that just both in the dressing room and uh, the reaction of the fans so I think Hodgson would deal with a similar situation quite diplomatically. I think he'd do very much as, you know, what I was saying before. He'd he'd say one thing in the press, um, kind of play it down. But I'd imagine in the the dressing room he would be saying something quite different, which is, I think, I have actually heard that he can be quite a different animal behind closed doors.
1: That's a really good point. I, I, in that lead-in, I kind of pretend like neither of your clubs have ever been through this, which is a very silly <laughs> thing indeed. Um, but yeah, I think both of those examples are probably healthier ways of handling with it internally. Although Jake, it sounds like you're, well, I bet both of you can can relate to the the fans turning before you'd hear a bad thing from the manager. But uh, we've we've now passed both thresholds uh, <laughs> at the club, and to to the fact that a lot of times it takes players first years. Uh, at least one or two to really settle at the club. I remember uh, there were bids for heung Son after his first year um, when he was de- dealing with a plantar fasciitis issue in his foot. And everybody just thought he was terrible and his first touch was huge. And then he somehow sorted that, which is allegedly very hard to do. Uh, and then he's gone on to be one of our best players. But on the other side of the coin, and I think I saw an article to this point yesterday, uh, which is a really good one, it's that, yes, you usually want to give first-year players that time to grow into the team but the fact that La Celso has done so well in the same circumstances I think is making Ndombele look way worse by comparison which isn't necessarily fair Uh, it's really just credit to La Celso rather than it should be kind of derision aimed uh, at Ndombele but yeah I guess give it time see how it goes Uh, but I wouldn't be surprised (laughs) if we hear more Mourinho quotes about Ndombele this season and I doubt that they will be positive Uh, We will move from there to the matches today after kind of weeks of that whole fourth to eighth region of the table, basically matching each other week on week with draws and losses, nobody really gaining ground on anyone. Uh, Chelsea and Manchester United both took big steps this week. Chelsea beating Everton 4-0, Manchester United beating City 2-0 in their local derby. Uh, And I'm curious uh, for you guys, which of these teams do you think took a bigger step today Towards that objective of making one of the Champions League spots come the end of the year.
2: Um, oh, I think it's a difficult one. I think it depends if we if we're considering fifth as Champions League, given the city stuff. Um, I think it's probably safe to, to not make that assumption yet. So, if we're talking about top four, you've got to say Chelsea. Um, Purely because of the points total that they've got. Um, they've got three uh, three more points than Manchester United. Closing in on Leicester as well. And I think this is a big one for me. It's is that Leicester points total. That's the one that both teams should be looking at. Not not the other at this point. You've got to be chasing the one in it above you rather than looking behind. And I think that's the that's actually Chelsea have taken. Now only two points of Leicester. albeit bit playing a game more. Um, See, so yeah, I was quite impressed with Chelsea today. I thought watching Everton against Arsenal and Manchester United in recent weeks, I thought they were... They were looking like a team that could cause real real damage in these big matches. Um, probably uh, play better than both Arsenal and Manchester United and, and were unlucky to take only one point. So I thought that going to Chelsea today with the injuries and the suspensions they had, I thought Everton were, were going to get some from the game. And I was massively wrong. Chelsea were excellent. Um, really good football. They, they played throughout the game. thought Giroud was excellent. I thought Gilmore, I think he, he's getting a little bit... Overly praised, but he was good in the middle of the park for, for a teenager. Pedro and Willian uh, look like they're up for the last few games of the season uh, after a, a period of looking pretty average. Um, but yeah, they they probably should have won by more. Only Limited Everton 23 shots. So it wasn't just a good attacking performance. It was all around, probably helped by Everton a little bit. But yeah, it's, it's really good for Chelsea. I was impressed with them against Liverpool in the week as well. So I think... They're finding their form again. Uh, Manchester United, I think since Fernandez has come in, they're a completely different team. They just look so much more organized. Um, look like they've got a more cohesive unit in the midfield, they they're creating more chances. I think the problem they had before, they didn't have anybody sort of threading things together. Um, but now they have that and they're so much more threatening as a result. They've got pace on the on the break. And if you add Rashford into that team, add Pogba, you know, that's that's a top four team for me. Um See, I, think, I think both of them got a very good chance of finishing in the top four. Um, Chelsea, you've got to give them the advantage. I think they've both got pretty favourable run-ins. So. But I think both of them could finish in the top four, at least get Champions League places if fifth does become available. Um, I think they're both going to finish the season strongly. Um, and I guess credit to, to Solskjaer and and Lampard in their first four seasons as Premier League managers. If you look at what Mourinho is doing in the struggles, he's having the Spurs, albeit with with injury problems, but you you look at Chelsea, they've had the same injury problems. Solskjaer would probably want Pogba and Rashford available. doesn't have them. So, you know, they're they're, they're doing very well. uh, And I thought both of them were with very good value for their win today.
0: Yeah. I mean, I sort of agree with what Jake said there, to be honest. I think, um, Both of those teams now. I'll be looking at Leicester, who've you know since the since the turn of the year have dropped off a little bit. Um, Haven't won. I don't know. They've won for four or five games now. It is. They've obviously playing. They've got a game in hand playing Villa tomorrow night. But given their recent form, you wouldn't kind of bank on that being a being a home win necessarily. Um, Chelsea. Yeah, Chelsea were particularly impressive. I mean, I I thought Everton were absolutely woeful, which was quite surprising given how good they have been under uh, since Ancelotti came in. But Chelsea just seem to have kind of found something, and it's been quite a big week for them, obviously with the win over Liverpool in the cup as well. Um, I thought they were well worth that that victory too. Um, I just think kind of you know Giroud coming back into the team has been really big for them. Um, Don't get me wrong; I mean Tammy Abraham's been great this year, but um, but at the same time, you know Giroud is just um, he's got that kind of experience, and he's the sort of guy you probably want leading that line as you as you go into the sort of last eight nine games games of the season you do need to put together a string of wins and it kind of it does it's starting to look like they're starting to hit a formula where they can start to go on a run of results now um and just kind of looking at their running as well it's a little bit more favorable than some of the teams around them so you would be looking at chelsea and thinking that'll be them in the top four now which you know is quite is pretty impressive as jake said you know it's lampard's first season managing in the premier league he's had his his hands tied by um by that transfer embargo. Um, and he's, quite, he's kind of lived by his word in the sense that he has put faith in in the young players, which um, I guess has sort of been encapsulated by the breakthrough over the last couple of games of Billy Gilmore. As, as Jake says, I think he's maybe been slightly over-exaggerated how good he's been, especially today, but he was, he was great in that game against Liverpool. Um, and if Lampard keeps bringing those players through, you know, they could actually be a real, a real force next season as well if uh, if they if they move smartly in the transfer market as they have already with the signing of Ziyech from um, from Ajax. Um so yeah I think it's pretty positive for Chelsea. Um they just need to kind of start to you know do this a little bit more consistently which I think has been their problem throughout the season. They've played some nice stuff at times but haven't necessarily got the results that that their performances have warranted. Um but yeah I think I think they'll be pretty pretty confident finishing in that top four now and then united as, as jake says it has just they have just seemed like a completely different team since fernandez came in he sort of energized everyone around him it seems to you know uh the way he plays just seems to be a little bit more quite infectious um everyone around him has kind of raised their game a level or two um marshall has found some form obviously scored again today um and yeah, it's kind of, as, as, as Jay was saying, again, it's, you know, it's testament as well to two young managers um, keeping sort of keeping faith in what they were doing, despite the fact, you know, there's always quite a lot of talk in the press about, you know, getting the appointments wrong or whatever. Um, I think they've kind of dispelled those dispelled some of those um, myths for the time being. Um and I think, you know, Leicester will be looking over their shoulders quite worried as, as those two start to find some, find some form.
1: Yeah, I think I was more impressed by Manchester United on the day. Um, I think that's the best they've looked in some time, though. I don't think I've saw either of their last two matches. Um, but we've seen Chelsea like turn up for a match like this this season, and everything clicks, and then they struggle for a couple weeks. I still don't think they've had back-to-back wins this season, if memory serves. Um, <clears throat> but that Manchester United win, I mean, from where they were in December with Everybody kind of in the Solskjaer out bandwagon and the, all the rumors that they were going to have Pochettino and we were going to have Mourinho by the time we played each other next. They really, really turned things around, uh, which both of you mentioned there with Solshar. So the signing of Fernandez, as you both say, has helped massively. I also think Igalo provides something that they didn't really have, which is uh, kind of a, mm, is this rude? I don't know, a bulkier forward? Whereas Martial and Rashford have, you know, spent the better part of the last three years having to play on the wing. Um, Just somebody that can kind of be a focal point and then lay the ball off if he needs to. I think he's already had a couple goals for them in different competitions. But yeah, I think both have obviously been impressive. There was was a time like a month ago where it seemed like uh, Tottenham had a chance of catching up and passing Chelsea when we played them. Uh, United were a while back. Uh, But now things looking less good for us and (laughs) more good for both of them. And I I agree with both of you that they should be kind of looking at Leicester um, because nobody should be aiming for that fifth spot and hoping that the city uh, ban is upheld because I don't think we'll know that by the end of the season. So uh, making sure you get into those top four spots so you don't have to be the one that finds out in June whether or not your so-called Champions League spot is yours or not. I think it's something both clubs would certainly want to avoid. But uh, I I think you make a great point, uh, Sam, when you bring up that, you know, Manchester United have certainly not been without their injury issues this year. Pogba basically missing the entire season and still pushing on and everything. So uh, they're who I'd pick of these two, but certainly a good weekend for both. And while we're talking about teams that have impressed us, I figured we'd wrap up by talking about the season on the whole and which team you've been most impressed by personally and the team that you've been most disappointed by.
2: Yeah, I think for me, the, the obvious one has got to be, um, for teams that have impressed me, uh, it's got to be Wolves and, and Sheffield United, um, both of them overachieving again. I think for Wolves, it's just the sheer amount of games they've played and the level that they've managed to to maintain, it's been very impressive. We've often talked about the Euro being a curse, but they've pretty much matched their league output again, probably improved on it, six losses. Um, throughout the season. Only Liverpool have lost fewer now after City's lost today, so they're very hard to beat. Um, Nuno will probably be very disappointed in some of the draws, you know, drawing again against Brighton um, and and against Leicester a few weeks ago. They just sometimes lack that clinical edge. but I think it's probably a bit of tiredness that's worked into that. Uh, But they're just so tough to beat and just look like such an organised outfit. They're the type of team that you can see going all the way in Europa League. I think that's that's a competition that they might be able to win. I think they've just got a, a very European way of playing, um, which shouldn't be a surprise with a lot of the players they have um, in their team. I think I think they they've been impressive. Sheffield United, obviously, doing excellently with with what is quite a um, basic squad. You know, you don't have a lot of talent or obvious talent in that team. It just seems that they they work so hard. They've got a system that works, and the players are just constantly improving. Under Wilders' um, management, he's, he's very underrated as, as a coach and he's taken the Premier League by a storm. I think it'll be interesting to see how they get on next season when teams are a little bit more aware and uh, respectful of them. But for this year, they can go. They'll be looking at a European place and, and I wouldn't begrudge them that. Um in terms of teams that I've not been impressed with, um a difficult one, there's a lot you could probably talk about. Yeah. Um, I think you're probably been looking at Bournemouth, West Ham, um, and Watford. Really, those three teams that they they're all pretty settled at this level now. Um, West Ham, the big ones for me. They they had everything to to push on and become a top ten team. Obviously, a yeah, Pellegrini, who was a a manager that used to used to manage. Um, Man City and Real Madrid um, they had a lot of investment they've got this big stadium now everything was there to push on and they just haven't done it um, having to go back to bringing in Moyes um, it's just it's not very ambitious at all and you can see why the fans are getting frustrated for the owners got that big win over Southampton but they got a difficult run of games coming and I think they could they could be right down down there for the rest of the year wouldn't be surprised me if they do go down they probably should have enough talent to get the wins but you know it's West Ham they seem just to Constantly be in this position of fighting relegation or or going nowhere as a club, and it's been a little bit. I, I, I couldn't imagine being a fan of West Ham at the moment. It just must be so frustrating. You've got everything there to to push on, and you're just not doing it. And I think with Bournemouth, probably harsh to say, it, I've been disappointed by them. But you know, I just come to expect more from them, and Eddie Howe, and it's just not really been there. Um, thought they played pretty well against Chelsea in the second half last week and they did well against Liverpool um, for the first 20 minutes especially, could have been 2-0 but just seems to have just got a little bit complacent there um, as as does happen with, with managers when they are at a club for a long time and the same squad of players really uh, I think their recruitment has been pretty poor since they got into the Premier League to be honest, they've wasted a lot of money um, and yeah, I, I could see them also going right down to the wire in terms of staying up. So they're the, they're the two big disappointments for me.
0: Yeah, I mean, I, I hate to keep kind of copying what Jake's saying, but I, <laughs> I had sort of earmarked Wolves as the as the team that have really really been impressed by this season. You know, um, just mainly because they've been able to maintain that level that they did when they came up last season. I think you know after last year, it was always going to be a question of whether they would be able to do that. Um, we've seen in the past promoted sides who punch above their weight uh, can tail off you know that sort of second season syndrome it's what people like to talk about um, and they've, you know they've got a relatively small squads so they're playing in the Europa League which is, as Jake says as we've seen in the past has, can have a detrimental effect on on clubs of a similar size to Wolves don't um, have the same strength and depth as you know your Arsenal's or even your Chelsea's when they've been in the Europa League in the past to to, to be able to keep up that league form while playing games on a Thursday um, and they did have, a they had quite a slow start to the season, but since then they've really discovered a lot of what made them so good last year. Um, I mean, going forward for me, they're one of the most exciting teams to watch. I think the link up between Jota and Jimenez for their winner at Spurs last week is kind of encapsulated that brilliantly. Um, and there's a ton of other exciting talents still in there. You know, we've mentioned Triore, um, who's improved massively this year and they've got, they've got a great spine with Cody and Bolly at the back, Moutinho and Neves in midfield. Um, and with you know, with nine games to go, they're just five points off fourth, two points off fifth, which you know, as we as we've mentioned, could be enough for Champions League football this season. So, they're definitely the ones that that I've been impressed with. Um, I think you also kind of have to give a shout out to Leicester. Um, easy to forget how good they were in the first half of the season. Um, I think Brendan Rodgers coming in has really transformed the way they play. Um, obviously, they haven't they haven't quite managed to keep that up for the whole. For the whole campaign, but I thought when they came to Palace earlier in the year, that's there's, there's always, you know, you always get a sense when your Leicesters, your Wolves, your um mm-hmm. teams like that when when they come to Palace, there's a sense that you're gonna be able to get something off them. Whereas this year there was just there was something with Leicester, they just had a bit of a different aura about them. Um, kept the ball a lot best. They did have the feeling of a side that was, you know, your, one of your top four, top five, top six teams. And it just for me it kind of that's sort of what clubs our side should be aiming for in the sense, you know, they obviously had that outrageous season where they where they won the league, but I think now they're sort of starting to to really uh sort of reap the rewards of that. They've they've reinvested properly, they've put together a really good side. Um and yeah, I think they've they've played some really nice stuff this season. And one other team I'd give a shout out to is actually Southampton, uh, which might sound a little bit strange. Um, and I know they've slipped off again recently and lost to Newcastle yesterday, but I think the way that they've responded to that nine nil defeat at home to Leicester earlier in the season has been has been pretty impressive. You know, a lot of teams wouldn't be able to come back from that. Um, and they've actually played some really lovely stuff when they when they came to Palace earlier in the year. They they kind of schooled us one two nil could have been a lot more. Um, and I think you know that's kind of it's reflective of Hassan who as a manager as well I think he he's a guy that they might struggle to, to hold on to in the next year or so um, in terms of most disappointing I'm going to go a little bit left field here I think I'd actually go with Manchester City only because of the high standards that they have set in winning the league for the past two seasons um, you know going into this year I kind of I did think it would be as tight as it was last season. Um and for the league to be over by February sort of start of March has, has felt like a bit of an anti climax. But that is that is obviously only kind of testament to how good the title race was last year, how high how how good City have been and you know how they've just kind of redefined um almost what it takes to win a Premier League title. You do have to achieve near perfection now if you wanna if you wanna win the league. Um I know you can't really legislate for the whole being as as relentless as they have been, and you know winning twenty seven of the twenty nine games they've played um but I think even Pep body would admit that they haven't that city haven't quite been where it would like them to be you know today's defeat is their seventh this season, which is more had a look before and it's more than they lost in in the two title winning seasons combined, so yeah for me, slightly disappointing city obviously <laughs> it sounds weird to say that given that they're second in the league still in the champions league um but yeah that's that's just kind of the logic behind it
1: yeah definitely good shouts from both of you and i just wanted to comment on wolves as well not only are they kind of breaking the whole theory around the europa league curse don't they also have the smallest squad in the league and with that they're they're accomplishing that right now it's it's just absurd that they're still uh in the hunt for that top 4 definitely top 6 while also uh, still in that in the Europa League, it's it's really incredible with the amount of players that they have, uh, and then they let some go in January, um, which I know isn't exactly what Thomas was hoping for. Uh, who comes on here and talks to us about wolves sometimes? All right, uh, we'll take a break now, and then we'll be back with club specific questions for each of our guests. Hi, this is Craig Robinson from Ways to Win, and support for this podcast comes from Invesco QQQ All right, and we are back. Jake, we'll start off with you in Newcastle. Obviously, a nice little run of form you're putting together in both competitions. Uh, obviously, you reached the quarterfinal. Uh, what did you make of that match, and how happy are you to have progressed in, in a cup competition when it seemed to be such a struggle for you at times?
2: Yeah, I think this is the first time we've got this far with Mike Ashley as owner, so it's quite a surprise. Um, we've had a very nice draw to this point, um, Rochdale, Oxford. Um and then West Brom and we'd needed we we needed 180 minutes in both games to in both ties to knock out the league one time uh team. So yeah, it, that it was a bit of a struggle at times. It's been more of a cup limp than a cup run, but uh, we've got there. I think on the uh, <laughs> Tuesday night, looking at West Brom's team, they made so many changes, obviously focusing on promotion. It's one we definitely should have won. um Maybe got a little bit complacent at the end um and conceded two goals, but you know that can happen uh, in any game. Uh, but we managed to see it out. I thought we played quite well. I thought Elmeron looks really good in the in the new number ten role that we used them in. I finally, used them in his best position, he's starting to do well. Um, so yeah, that's positive. I think Bruce deserves a lot of credit for getting us to the to the uh, cup semi uh, quarter final. Um, I think he's changed his tactics a bit in the last few weeks, which has been encouraging because the the five at the back stuff that he kept saying was the only way this club could play um, was just, was just a bit ridiculous because i don't think we even played the three at the back under benitez until the last six months to to say it was the only way they could play was was ridiculous but he's sort of taking ownership now and we're playing a little bit more attacking which is nice to see um if that leaves us open at the back then so be it i think we'd rather see newcastle be a little bit more attacking especially in 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 matches against lower league opposition or against teams that are, are around our level in the premier league um seeing us sit with five at the back against uh oxford um and Norwich in the last few weeks it was just very demoralising to watch um, but he changed it up and he's got us to the quarter final of the cup so deserves all the credit and yeah if you get to this point you can you know you can get anywhere we may have managed to sit in the next round but it's at home um, it would be a full stadium beat them there last season uh, they we didn't lose in the league game The season it was 2-0 so you know, we can we could do it you know we saw Manchester city today they're not quite at it um probably a little bit more focused on the cups but they're going to have champions league games around that time anyway um probably if they do get past real madrid as expected so wh- why can't we beat them we, we we definitely can so it's um yeah um, optimistic um and if we if we win in the next round it would be getting very very exciting
1: Yeah, this week, uh, not from Newcastle fans, it should be noted, I saw some people popping up saying uh, maybe we should reevaluate how we view Steve Bruce and maybe give him a little bit more credit. I know you haven't been his his biggest fan and weren't necessarily excited by the appointment, but are are you starting to see more of the positives to his managerial style, or do you think this is just a team that's talented enough that this is somewhat in spite of him?
2: Yeah, yeah, I'm. I'm not convinced by Bruce yet. I think, I think we need to give him credit for for the good things he does. He's changed to a a four two three one. It's look, working a lot better. Um, he's he's playing. He's getting the players further up the pitch. Um, and yeah, he deserves praise for that. Absolutely. But we've we've seen what he's done for the most of the season. It's been very negative. It's he's been surviving on luck alone, really. Um. We we picked up so many wins where we shouldn't have done this season, um, and it's sort of papered over the cracks a little bit. And if you look, if you, if you're looking at it purely on a points, um, on a results basis, like some in the media probably do, that don't sit and watch Newcastle every week. You look at it and you think, well, they're 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 on. They're on thirty-five points after twenty-nine games. They're gonna be safe during a cup quarter final. What a job Steve Bruce is doing, and I can see see why some people think that. But watching it every week, it's just been turgid football for most of the season. He's been some of his decisions are questionable. His subs are often strange, but I think he deserves credit for what's happened in the last few weeks. We probably should have beaten Burnley last week. Um, after the formation change, we then progressed in the cup and then beat Southampton. So yeah, we've got can't criticize him for that. And if he maintains with this sort of style of football and we keep um you know we don't need to keep winning matches but if we keep if if we're not getting battered in every game in every stat and we start to compete and and offer a little bit more in attack then i think i think he deserves credit and we'll see where he can take the team
1: yeah it's, in the teams that impressed i i certainly think newcastle have done better uh, than perhaps people would have expected. I know you personally tweeted that you might be the worst team in the Premier League. So uh, I think that that deserves that impressive tag. Uh, Sam, we'll come to you now to talk about Crystal Palace. Things were looking pretty bleak there for a moment, but kind of a string of 1-0 wins with uh, Jordan Ayu really pulling the strings has certainly helped that turnaround. Has there any, been anything that's changed tactically, or, or what do you think has brought on the shift in form? Um.
0: We've definitely not shifted anything tactically because Hodgson very rarely departs from you know from his methods. It's always it's pretty easy to predict how we're going to set up each week. Um, I think I think that I think the biggest thing really, you know, it was as you say, it was we we did have that string of bad results where it was lost at home to Sheffield United and Southampton, and then away to Everton. I think I think the winter break actually just did us a lot of good. Um, you know, those those results came. At the end of a period where we'd been, our squad had been completely obliterated by injuries. Um, We'd got through the Christmas period relatively unscathed. We managed to we'd we'd drawn a lot, hadn't won too many, but also managed to avoid getting beaten. Um, And then it just kind of felt like those two, three games were just a little, a kind of a step too far for the squad. Um, So I just think they've 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 come back really re-energized just from having one or two weeks off, and I think it's kind of just reminded people that you know, we did actually start the season quite well. We were a top half, so, well, just inside the top half um, for the sort of first quarter of the season. And we've started to kind of rediscover some of what got us there. You know, we've got the back four starting to look solid again. We've got both of our full backs back, which um, for a team like us is really, really significant, you know, because having someone like Patrick van Aanholt be able to get up in support of Zaha and attacks rather than... Someone like Jairo Riedewald, who isn't necessarily a natural left-back, has made a real difference, and you can really tell. Um, on the other side as well, you know, Joel Ward coming back in, um, replacing Martin Kelly at right-back, um, who was a centre-back playing out of position. It just completely changes the way we, we are going forwards and just as an attacking outlet. So we've been much more of a threat. Um, defensively, we've been more solid. Um so yeah, no, no no real tactical tweaks uh, to speak of, but it's I think it has just simply been a case of the squad having a little bit more time to recover, players coming back in, and things just, you know, I think the players just having a little bit more freshness when they get onto the pitch.
1: Gotcha. Then the big news uh, for Palace this week wasn't just the win, it's of course that Hodgson triggered a one-year extension uh, with the club. There have been some questions during his tenure about, you know, is he ambitious enough? But he certainly kept you safe, and it seems you're already past that point uh, this season. What have you made of his tenure on the whole, and, and were you glad to hear the news that he's he's going to be there another year?
0: Yeah, I mean, it's not something that you sort of it's not it's not an announcement that you kind of punch the air about. It's not <laughs> it's not like massively exciting, um, as you say. it's kind of there have been times where watching the football under Hodgson has been quite tough. Um, but you do know what you're going to get from him. Uh, I think it was it's interesting, really, because you know after that sort of string of bad results that we were talking about, there was almost a consensus that he was under a bit of pressure going into the runner games against Newcastle, Brighton, Watford. Um, but obviously, we've managed to win all of those. Um, and I think I think you know that was that was always going to be a big test because under Hodgson, we haven't necessarily performed well in some of those bigger games. So obviously, for Palace. The Brighton game is a big one. We lost both of those last year, which is the first time we would lost both fixtures against them since, I don't know, the 70s maybe or something like that. And then and not a lot of Palace fans will admit it, but there is kind of a bit of a... There's always a little bit of an extra edge to the game against Watford as well because we've kind of played each other a lot in recent years. You know, we, the playoff final, the FA Cup semi-final. Um, they've always had a bit of a dislike for Zaha. So there's always a bit of... There's always a bit of, you know... Uh, more meat in the challenges in those games. Uh, so that's another one which has taken a little bit more significance. And we lost both of those last season as well. So I think at the start of this little run, that really was going to be a test for him to, you know, prove that he had learned those lessons and how much those games kind of do mean to the fans now. Um, and I think the fact that he was able to come through those, just pretty much convinced the board that it was, you know, that he had earned that um, that contract extension. Um, as we say, you know, people have been disappointed with the football at times, Uh some have wanted him to get more out of a squad that arguably could be playing a more attractive brand of football. But ultimately since he's come in, you know, we finished 11th uh, in his first season 12th last year. And on course to, you know, finish mid table again this year, maybe slightly higher. Um, I mean, as Palace fans, we've always kind of lamented the fact that we're always in relegation battles and, you know, what we'd give to have seasons of mid-table mediocrity. But now that we've got that as our reality, it's almost there's a sense that we're underachieving a little bit. So, you know, no one's ever going to be completely satisfied, but he is without doubt a safe pair of hands. Um, The players seem to like playing for him. And, you know, it is almost quite nice for him to be having this sort of renaissance at the end of his career after things ending so sourly with England. Um, and i think also the other thing uh, there's been a lot of uncertainty at palace off the pitch with um american owners wanting to sell uh, which has obviously kind of affected our transfer activity in recent windows so if if the purse strings are going to remain as tight as they have been for the for the past few transfer windows i think it's i think it's pretty sensible to be sticking with someone who knows the players and how to get the best out of them rather than rather than bringing in a new manager who's going to come in with his own ideas and pe- potentially try to completely transform the way we play
1: Gotcha. And then a piece of not as good news, uh, a player that I thought was a really a suit signing by you guys, even though it was on loan, uh, was the signing of Cheng Tosin, who has now done, uh, I think it was his knee, uh, and has now mm-hmm. already been announced by Turkey, is not even going to be eligible by the Euros. He's already gone back to Everton with the loan terminated. He did score one goal for you guys, and it seemed like his presence maybe got Benteke getting going a little bit do you, do you agree with that assessment and what do you think you're missing out uh, by him being injured and leaving the club
0: yeah i mean it's a good point Reben which I'll, i mean i'll come back to in a minute but it's yeah i think i think first of all it was just a bit you felt a bit disappointed for him more than anything because i mean he'd come to palace to try and get some games having fallen out of favorite everton ahead of the euros and now just as he was starting to you know get a few games at palace obviously as you mentioned scored a goal against city he goes and gets this injury that's going to keep him out of that tournament that he was that he was aiming for in the first place and you know would have probably been one of the pinnacles of his career um so yeah at first you just kind of feel a little bit sad for him um having you know we yeah it's hard it's hard to really judge what what we are missing out on because we didn't really see enough of him uh that game up at city he he was very, very good. Obviously, scored a decent goal, um, but other than that, it's just been a kind of handful of substitute appearances. So it's it's difficult to measure exactly how much of an impact he would have had um, had he stayed. He was definitely a he was definitely a better option off the bench than um, than Connor Wickham was, and is obviously a, a guy who could who could have been pushing for a starting place. Um, but as you say, there, I think I think almost the most the the sort of most profound impact that he's had is just getting Christian Benteke to buck up his ideas again, um, you know, since the turn of the year, or since Benteke came back into the side, um, he's looked, I wouldn't say like a completely different player, but it does look like some of the confidence has returned. Um don't know whether that's in part to him getting his goal up at Everton, which Pickford kind of just moved out of the way of for. Um, but just his all-round play completely uh, brings something completely different for us. He, you know, he's capable of occupying two defenders which just creates a lot more space for the likes of Zaha and Ayu to to run into it means that Zaha's not being marked by two or three defenders every single time and you know he's played it he might not necessarily be scoring the goals um he's still missing decent chances but the way I'd kind of describe it is that his play is brilliant until he gets into the box so I think that's kind of been summed up from the last two games in that He's played a he's played a really central role in both of our winning goals. So at Brighton last week, kind of broke away from three players and then played a lovely reverse pass into the path of IU, who, who slotted it in. And then yesterday, he sort of turn, uh, got the ball in the halfway line, held off two defenders, turned, burst forwards, and um, yeah, eventually again that was part that was how the ball ended up working its way to IU for the winner. So so yeah, obviously disappointed to lose Tossen, but I think Benteke finding his form again that we won't necessarily miss him as much as we might have done um, or, as, or as we might have maybe expected to when we first signed him.
1: Yeah, one of these days that Benteke overhead kick is going to go in. We, we'll just have <laughs> to keep was so trying it. So close
0: yesterday, I thought it had done it. <laughs> yep. Great technique.
1: Yeah, and he keeps he keeps being very close with it. This,
0: I know, he hit, he hit the ball with one last year as well against Fulham. It was, uh, yeah, it was just, he's just so unlucky, that guy, I think. And once um, he gets it, he's like going to score it.
1: 20 goals the next year. Um, <laughs> get, get, get that form and, and confidence back going. Uh, now we'll head into Player Watch, where we're going to be talking about the players that have improved the most this season. We'll start off with you, Jake.
2: Yeah, um, I think it's probably... Um, it's a tough one for Newcastle. There's, there's been a few that, that have done well. I think Fernandez has been good, but I'm not sure if it's just improvement or just getting more minutes. Probably, probably the latter. Um, yeah, um, I think Isaac Hayden's been good again. I think he's he's got more confident. Um, again, he just keeps improving. And he's a very good player. I think he's a lot very underrated by by fans of other teams. He's just very good at breaking breaking the game up, um and just doing the simple things, which is which is what we need when we've got um players like John Shelby and Sean Longstaff in the team that like to be a little bit more progressive in, in their style. So I think he's he's been good for us. Um and I'd probably say Almoron uh is probably the another one that you could say. I think he's adapted a lot more to the English game he's uh, scoring a few goals now he's more involved and I think you're gonna see for the rest of the season if we do stick in this um formation of um with Almiron in the number 10 role with the license to get up and support the the striker we're gonna see a lot more from him so I wouldn't be surprised to see if he got another three or four before the season's out because I think he he looks to be in in really good form um in that West Brom game, he obviously got two and he's he's such a good finisher when he's, when he's instinctive, uh, it's quite a good finisher, which, which is why we need him sort of running on from that number 10 or away. It'll be a little bit more instinctive to his game. Whereas from the the left, sometimes it, he's getting quite simple chances, but he's not the type of player that can do that. So yeah, I think, I think he's going to benefit from it. And I think we're going to see a lot more from him in the last few games.
0: Yeah. For me, it's pretty difficult to look past, um, it's, it's difficult to look past Jordan I um, I know that I've mentioned this before but he just kind of keeps delivering, uh, he's scored eight goals this season compared to one in the league last year um, but I it's kind of his his his, his all round play is so much more than that, he's not just a goal scorer you know, his work off the ball this season has been um, you know, kind of mind boggling at times, just seems like he doesn't run out of energy um, and I think you know, last year it was he was very much a, a squad player um but he's spoken of how not really having a pre-season last year didn't help him at all and now that he seems to, now that he had one of those under his belt we're really seeing the benefits of it um and with Zaha not Wilfred Zaha not really not quite hitting his usual heights this year we've, we've relied on IU on, on sorry we relied on IU just as much to carry the ball forward and get us up the pitch as we do Zaha um and i mean just to kind of put it into con- it's really put it into co- context in the past two weeks when we've sort of played teams that ended up signing um signing players that palace had been linked with so when we played brighton last week there's Neil malpay up front who they obviously signed for about 20 million i think it was watford yesterday as milosav 30 million um they were both players that palace were linked with and i think eventually we just were priced out or decided that you know we weren't going to pay that much money for them um and obviously, Jordan Ayu cost us 2.5 million. Now, I think if you asked any Palace fan at the start of the season which out of those, or even just to order those three players in the order that you'd like, which one you'd want playing for your team, IU probably would have come bottom of a lot of, the, uh, of a lot of those. Whereas at, at this stage of the season now, it's Ayew looking like a shoe in for our Player of the Season alongside maybe Vicente Guaita. So, um, yeah, I think that kind of speaks volumes just the fact that we really were expecting very, very little from IU this season than he's being our best player. All
1: right, and we will head from there into match previews. All right, we will wrap up today's show with match previews. Uh, We'll start off with you, Sam, coming to you to talk about Crystal Palace. You're going to be, of course, traveling to Bournemouth. They're one of those teams that we all mentioned on that disappointing uh, caliber. Do you think you can kind of make their season even worse with a win there?
0: Uh, we'll see. You know, it's I'd, you'd like to think so, wouldn't you? Um, just based on the fact that we're we're in pretty good form at the moment. Um, they're certainly not. Um, but I guess the only the only thing is you're getting to that stage of the season now where teams in the position that Bournemouth are um, are just going to be scrapping for all the points they can, and you know they'll be looking at their run in, um, which I know isn't particularly favourable, and they'll have earmarked this game in particular as um, one where they desperately need to get three points so i've no doubt that they'll kind of be coming out of the blocks firing um doing all they can to try to to try and get the win but at the same time you know we're we're not the type of team that's just going to go to go to a place like that and roll over i don't think so especially on the back of three wins in a row so um i'd expect hodgson to probably go with the same team he very rarely changes a winning team and hasn't changed it for the past two or three weeks. Um, our recent record at Bournemouth hasn't been particularly great. I can't actually remember the last time we won there, so it would be nice to, you know, finally, finally get a win on the seaside. Um, but yeah, no, no reason not to be optimistic going into this one. Um, I think the only, the only thing that could um, could be against us is just the fact that they are so desperate for the points at the moment. So yeah, we'll see.
1: All right, and Jake will come to you, of course, talking about Newcastle versus Sheffield United. We mentioned them earlier as one of the teams that impressed. look, there's a theme here. <laughs> How do you think you'll fare uh there against the blades?
2: uh, yeah, it should be quite a good one. I think the pressure's been taken off us somewhat um with the weekends win over Southampton, so we can go into this one with um i guess confidence a bit, play of a bit of freedom as well um Sheffield United have only won four times away this season, which gives me a little bit more hope that we can get something obviously won there earlier this season. Um, So we've got a potential double on the line. Um, I think that we'd probably be well suited to play against them, especially now because we've changed our formation to be a little bit more attacking. So I think I'm I'm relatively confident, which is strange, Um, but we have been a lot better recently. So I'm going to say that we'll win. yeah, I want to go 2-1. I think we might win. Well, I would certainly enjoy that.
1: So feel free. <laughs> I was not trying to hang in on that race. All right. And that will do it for us today, guys. Thanks so much for joining me. It was a pleasure. Uh, if you'd like to tell the folks
2: where they could find you or anything you're working on,
1: now would be a good time.
2: Yeah, cheers for listening, guys. You can get me on Twitter at with two ends. Uh, I feature on the championship show on this channel as well. Uh, we'll have a show out this week in the next couple of days to so keep an eye out for that um, and anything else I do I'll plug on my Twitter
0: Yeah. Cheers Kev uh, I'm Sam Karp. Uh I'm a contributor to the Eagles Beak fan site uh, I'm also the deputy Editor of SportsPro if you guys want to read some of my other stuff and you can find me on Twitter at Sam double underscore cop.
1: Alright thanks so much for joining me today guys it was a pleasure as always and we hope you keep listening